Bees Radio Network. Live coverage of Bees Home Games. The podcast. The podcast. Well, hello, hockey fans, and welcome back to the Bees Radio Network podcast, episode number 27. It's a big episode for many reasons, and I think I can boldly predict to you right now, boldly predict you might need a bit of a cup of tea with this one. It's going to be a long one. Mark Denham, as ever, is joining me on the podcast. Mark, nice to see you back in the hive last night. And as ever, a pleasure to welcome you back to the podcast. Well, hello, Graham. Here I am, keeping up my 100% record on the podcast, <laughs> even if is. not at the uh, the home <laughs> games. But no, it was. Uh, it was nice to see you last night. Nice to stand next to you. Nice to chat with you on the podcast. And it was also nice to see a great game of hockey last night as well. And we are really seeing, and we'll come on to this, we're really seeing the bees hitting their straps at the right time of the season. So, yeah, great night to be back at the Hive last night. Indeed, a very great night. Uh, And a great night for us on the Bees Radio Network for one very big reason, which is the fact that we passed 15,000 listens since we launched at the start of the season. I think we can can very uh, clearly state that the numbers have really grown uh, there is a little bit of a community that now we're sort of averaging at the moment around about 800 to 900 listens a match, where at the start of the season it was a little bit lower. We always felt, and now I do feel sorry for Bees fans, because on the whole, they're not going to be the ones who get to listen to it, because they're going to be the ones in the hive. But if you have to miss, miss a game, we're there. It is really one that the away fans are piled into. But we are seeing a really nice community of fans all around the globe tuning in to listen week in, week out, and enjoy the end, enjoy the game and enjoy the end entertainment that we provide so well i mean it's you know we we get a lot of uh without being arrogant here we do get a lot of uh good feedback and stuff like that and i know a lot of people and we went into this in the very first episode a lot of people want a video stream and that just can't happen at the hive we just don't have the technology technology infrastructure in place to do a high quality stream that would not risk buffering or dropout. And that's not something that we as a club are prepared to risk. We're not going to take people's money and say, yes, come and watch this game. Oh, so sorry you missed the first period because of the dropout. And so sorry there was no audio on the second. But, you know, I think you do a fantastic job of being the the eyes and ears for those people who are listening every week because having stepped into your shoes before while you've been away, it is a very, very hard thing to do because I'm watching the game and I I know what I can see and I'm trying to describe it. I'm thinking, oh, hang on a minute, but I've not said like where the play is. You know, you'll say like, you know, Baird passes across to Mog and the puck comes out the zone and you're thinking, right, hang on a minute, you've got to describe where they started, who's where. It's very, very difficult to do. But I am glad that obviously so many people are appreciating what it is that we are doing. And it has been an absolute blast so far this season. It really has. Yeah, indeed. 15,000, over 15,000 of you have tuned in throughout the season on Bees Radio Network. So we're utterly delighted. We're, of course, as ever, very grateful to our Patreon subscribers as well, who have been receiving the weekly podcast throughout the season. And it's a really big thanks for all your support. And... As a thank you to everybody who's tuned into the Bees Radio Network over the course of the season, all 15,000 of you, we're bringing the payroll down for 
the running. There's going to be no paywall. Every person is going to be able to listen into the Bees Radio Network podcast for the end of the season. As a thank you to those of you who joined us throughout the year as well, help support us with our running costs throughout the campaign as well. Because uh, we really, we feel this is a great way for us to say thank you. Uh, and that's how we're going to do it. So from now on until the end of March, the Bees Radio Network podcast is completely free. People just have to go onto the Patreon page and they'll be able to listen to each and every edition of the podcast, which I think is going to be a really nice way for the Bees Radio Network to uh, round off what we hope to still be a successful inaugural season in the NIHL National. Do you know what? I mean, there have been many successes this season, haven't they? And without blowing our own trumpet, I think Bees Radio Network has been one of those. But when you look back, you know, uh, a year ago, the league needed something to happen. And that has happened this year. And even still, as we said on the podcast last week, there is nothing at all that is finalised yet in the table. <laughs> Everybody can change their position still in the table. And we're just three weeks away now from the end of the season. It's been a great first season of the NIHL National and it's also been a great first season, I think, for the um, for the Bees Radio Network and also for the podcast. I mean, let's be honest, you and I have said, I guess, some controversial things, which up until now have been trapped behind the paywall. So hello to everybody who can now be offended by the Bees Radio Network podcast. I mean, you did a perfectly good job of trying to offend people on Sunday, but we'll get into that in a little bit of time because <laughs> we need to go to the main headline. Well, that's from because the I'm missing Saturday's Raiders game, you see, so I had to get that in somewhere, didn't uh, I? Well, you had, you had to get it in early doors anyway. But as I say, the more important thing at the end of the day, the, the, everything we do on the Bees Radio Network is nothing to do with us two. It's nothing to do with our talents and or, or seeming some talents, although singing wasn't one of them on Sunday. Um, what it's really about is the TSI World Bracknell Bees and this weekend delivering another four-point weekend to keep the pressure on that final playoff spot because the Raiders at the end of the day, this season could have been dead and buried going into this coming up weekend. If the Raiders had turned over the Pirates in the two games and we had dropped points along the way, it could have easily have been, you know what, six games to go. This is a this is Everest we need to climb right now. As a result, the Bees did everything that they could do. And I know fans were walking out of the game on Sunday and said, oh, it's a shame it doesn't really matter because the Raiders picked up four points. It does matter you can control your own destiny and that's what the bees did this weekend a great victory on the road in leeds a long late trip back from west yorkshire to then come into the hive on sunday night and turn over the peterborough phantoms who going into the weekend still had aspirations of a league title going into their next game which is the first leg of the national cup final you have to beat what's put in front of you. And the Bees, in two performances, did exactly that. Well, I don't think there is a game that doesn't matter from now until the end of the season. Even if the Bees had lost, which they didn't, this weekend and the Raiders had won, as you say, it would have been Everest to climb. And potentially then if we'd lost again on Saturday, that would have been it, game over. But I don't think that there is ever a game that doesn't matter because... You have a loyal fan base that you have a duty to play for and to entertain. So even if mathematically ninth place wasn't possible, which it still easily is, but even if it wasn't possible, I don't think any game doesn't matter because you have 
season ticket holders who have paid their money and expect to see the bees give their all. So no game doesn't matter. And yes, I guess from our point of view, it is a little bit frustrating that we did everything we could and we came back with two good wins to finish the weekend, four points in the bag this weekend. It's a bit frustrating that the Raiders also got four points because that was a chance, had they not have done, to creep back into eighth spot. But whilst that title, uh, the not the title, sorry, whilst that playoff race is still alive, there is no such thing as a game that doesn't matter, irrespective of what the Raiders do. It doesn't matter to us, except for, of course, on Saturday when we play them. It doesn't matter to us what they do. We control what we can control. And as long as we keep pace with them at this stage, we then have those games against them in which we could really make an impact on that eighth place. So, yeah, great weekend. And those games, my oh my, they did matter. Indeed. We'll begin with the Leeds, very, uh, reviewing that Leeds game very briefly. A real combination of players putting up the goals in that game. Luke Jackson, Will Stair, James Galazzi, Roman Malinik, and Josh Ely Newman with the goals in that one. And it could have been a very different game because I'll give credit to the Chiefs. The Chiefs came into the weekend knowing doubleheader at home against the Bees and that lot from down the M3. They knew that it was going to be all about if they had any hopes of getting into that eighth spot. And I'll give Sammy Zay Jack his credit he was saying to his players we still got a chance we just need to control our own destiny and for the opening 10-12 minutes at the Ellen Road rink they really put the bees under pressure they were creating opportunities they were rotating the puck well feeding it back to the, the point where the guy was able to step in and get the shut off but the bees defence held it and the forward lines did as well and yeah they created a couple of whistles past the post and they created a couple of scrambles but they didn't do anything special it wasn't like they were doing something amazing because the Bees defense took away those chances and then the forwards began to get a grip on the game. And that's where the difference was. Once the Bees forwards got hold of the game, Malinick giving the goal at the end of the first period and then into that second period where really it was just wave upon wave upon wave of Bees offense that really just told the story there because the Bees just put the pressure on. And at one point, you're laughing. It's 5-0 up. You're thinking, job done here, boys. Really good period. Really strong effort. And then there's that curious moment of a game where the buzzer goes and a goal oh, goes in travel. the back of the net. And we all think we're an episode of Doctor Who. And referee hands was very quickly over to the bench going, no, there's one second left. And you look up at the clock and you're going, there is one second left. That's amazing, that. I definitely heard a buzzer, though. Just before the goal went in, I heard it. The bench heard it. Other people heard it. And then magically a second got put back on. Now, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, I'm sure Adam Goss will be saying to me, well, it does matter because that's my shutout that's gone out the window there. And I can completely understand that one, Adam. But in the grand scheme of things, it didn't matter too much. Um and there is a little bit more we need to talk about in this Leeds game at the moment. But earlier in the season, we went up to Blackburn. We suffered a defeat up in Blackburn. It was important to go into that Leeds rink, put in a performance, build on these strong performances the side have been putting out pretty much since the turn of the year. And that's exactly what they did. Got the job done, put the points in the bag and took it home. Well, I mean, to go back to your point about that goal. Now, I wasn't there. But I, uh, I was following the Twitter feed on Saturday night and I've also heard from other people as well who are saying, but it was after the buzzer. 
And I mean, that, that brings to me, I guess, uh, a tech, technological question here in that certainly when I first started in Slough, we had a, a clock installed and the buzzer sounded with the clock automatically. You had a button to press it if you ever needed to press it for any other reason. But the buzzer went off automatically when the clock hit zero. You did nothing. The buzzer went off automatically. Obviously, a brand new rink in Leeds, that cannot be the case, can it? Because how could a buzzer sound at 39.59 unless somebody got a little overzealous? Because I know, obviously, the one in Slough broke. The horn, which was up in the roof, totally broke. And therefore, we had to install a uh, secondary horn, which came with a button to press it. And I know because I've pressed that button before in Slough. And you're thinking, come on, come on, come on, come on. Like, you know, at the end of a tight game, you're thinking, come on, come on, come on, come on. Watch the clock tick down. And your finger's hovering over that button. And I know how tempting it could be to just, you know, press a little early. We've seen goal judges do it, haven't we, over the years where the light comes on, but there's no goal awarded just because you're ready over the trigger. Fortunately. In the overall scheme of things, it hasn't made a difference to the result. And as you say, Adam Goss quite rightly could be aggrieved, you know, um, fractions of a second. But you hear the buzzer go and I guess you think, right, that's it, plays, plays dead, end of. Uh, and then somebody scores on you. That must be so annoying for the goaltender. Didn't matter in the overall result, but in terms of Adam's personal record, and it's about more than personal records, but... Spare a thought here for Adam, who could have been on to record a shutout, given that the buzzer had gone, the goal had then been scored, and yet mysteriously there's a, a second still on the clock. It's concern, well, confusing, I suppose. Yeah. I suspect it was because the uh, scoreboard is done via, they don't have a scoreboard installed at the moment. It's just a screen that is running a computer program, and I, yeah. I, will, I fully suspect the two aren't combined at the moment. As you say, you're ticking down that clock, and all of a sudden, oh, hit the buzzer, and then, oh, there's a goal gone in at the other end. Oh, how's that happened? I understand it. I'm not going to... And as I say, we didn't jump up and down about it. We obviously no. expressed a little bit of concern about it, but we, we're not jumping up and down about it. It's a 5-1 game. You and it's I will no both have seen it as well, though, you know, where yeah. even when you have a, a buzzer that's connected up to your clock, you and I will both have seen it where you get a goal that's scored with 0, 0.00 left, but the goal has been adjusted to have gone in at like 1959, 39.59, yeah. 59.59. And that's a tough call for the officials. You know, they're like, oh, now, hang on, how close was that? And they'll perhaps consult with the goal judge. <laughs> it does happen. Even in an ideal world, you will get a goal mouth scramble sometimes or even perhaps a screecher of a shot sometimes right on the buzzer yep. that goes in. But it's just a little bit, I guess, frustrating that you get the buzzer sound and you look up, you're like, aha, but there is still a second to play. <laughs> that's a little bit frustrating. You know, and I guess... To Adam Goss, he gets the moral shutout, I suppose, even if he doesn't get the one on his record. You know, he put morals, in a good yeah, he put in a good performance, which was probably deserving of the uh, the shutout. And you know what? We're going to talk later on about netminders as well, and I I do want to talk about Adam Goss as well a little bit later on. But you know, for him, frustrating, I guess, because everybody likes that uh, that one to go up in the shutout column, but it's the win, and I'm sure that. At the end of the day, whilst he may be thinking, oh, I deserve to shut out there, he won't really care that much because he backstopped his team to a win. 
Yeah, indeed. Just while we're on the point of netminders from that game, I mean, a full credit must go to Sam Gospel in the Leafs Juice Net. I mean, he's a great young netminder, lots of talent there. And on uh, Saturday night, you could see he was in a lot of agony. He was going down, staying down, moving across. But we saw it a couple of weeks ago with Danny Milton. You remember the game where he was in pain against Basingstoke and you you could clearly see that Danny was in pain. It was exactly the same. And you felt for Sam Gospel. You really did because the Chiefs had no backup netminder on the bench. He had to ride out whatever that situation was. And yeah, you felt for him. He didn't ice the following night, which was a shame for the Chiefs. But uh, on a serious note, hopefully there's nothing um, too bad there for Sam. He's been a great Mm. young netminder uh, and I really hope that the Chiefs Hold on with him. There was one bit from the game that was a real big disappointment, though, um, which was obviously quite a few penalties and quite a bit of penalty trouble for both teams. We'll begin with the Chiefs first because it, uh, the Bees one has a direct impact on the last weekend and this weekend's games. But uh, uh, Patrick Volchak, the import for the Chiefs, received a a great hit from Aidan Dowdy. There's no other word from it. It was a, it was a great hit. And Volchak's a big man. Let's Let's not mess around. He's a big man. It's not gone well for the for the Chiefs. It's not gone well for him. And he wasn't happy. And he gave a few little bits of a cross-check into Aiden. And he, Aiden was not interested. Like, it was a great hit. Clean hit. The officials actually called the reaction from Valtrek. Nothing else follows that occurs. As a result, James Galazzi steps in. And James takes, unfortunately, a little bit of punishment from Valtrek. But the, the trouble I've got, I've got no problem when it's two willing combatants up in the air, but we've all beginning to see the video footage. The minute they go down to the ice, Valchak continues to punch on the floor and resist an official. He actually picks up a game for re- resisting an official. Now, it was announced as a match, and for some reason it has been downgraded on the sheets to a game, and I'm hoping that's just a, a clerical error because it is a match misconduct for resisting an official. I will not be surprised if Valchak picks up a substantial ban for this because this is the sort of thing that the IHA look we can talk about these two plus Chen checking from behind the match penalties for that for a dangerous hit you can talk about all that this was punching on the floor it's a no-no this is resisting an official and continuing to punch on the floor this is an absolute no-no if the IHA and those within Ice Hockey UK officials want, want the respect that they deserve this is where you clamp down. This is where you go. Sorry, he's punching on the floor. He's resisting an official. Here's your big ban. Maybe maybe we might not see him again this season. I'm willing to bet we're probably looking at about six games for it. And to be fair, that's fair. Because that's the last thing you want to see. He's punching on the floor and also seeing a guy resist officials to continue punching as well. There is kind of a code of respect, isn't there, among players and officials that, you know, we, we don't see. Uh, players square up as often as we used to. You know, it used to be a weekly occurrence, didn't it, that you would see players square up. And the officials, when they got in, the players would then back off. And the players were separated, taken to the respective penalty boxes, and they sat down. And then they returned to the game after they'd served their time out. There is a, a code of respect that's long been respected where players will stop. The minute an official comes in, players will stop. And I think that code has to be respected, even if we see less fights now. There is absolutely no excuse whatsoever for continuing to punch whilst uh, an opponent is down. There's no excuse for that. And there is no excuse at all for resisting an official. They are there, firstly, obviously, to control the game and make sure it's played within the rules, but they're also there looking after player safety. So when an official steps in, 
and tells you to stop, that's it. You stop. And that's how it should be. And I wouldn't be surprised if there is quite a heavy come down from discipline on a, an action like that. Indeed. And obviously the uh, discipline uh, continued into the final second of the game. Uh, so just to be clear to any fans, the clock could stop with less than a second on the clock because it stopped with uh, 0.2 seconds after uh, Josh Martin found himself entangled with Sam Zajac. Uh, Josh picking up what has been put on the game sheet as a, uh, a game misconduct for high sticks. Um, the, the word from the officials at the time was that as Josh went into the fight with Zajac and as he threw the first punch, the stick was still in the hand. And you look at the video on it, it's a very, it's a tight one to give full credit to Sam Zajac as well. He was immediately to the officials going, no, 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 the cut I've got here has not come from the high stick. That's not. And if you actually look at the video, the cut on Zajac, I need to get do this math in my head. The cut on the video, the stick goes into the right eye and the cut that is in the post-match interview is on the left eye. So it's not it's not from there where the, the stick's been occurred. However, Josh had actually picked up a 10 minute for incitement earlier in the night as well, uh, following an incident at the end of the period where sixes and sevens if I'm honest with you it's two players heading off the ice getting a little bit verbal Josh I don't think in, in, incited it too much it drew the attention of Copstalls though from the Leeds Chiefs and he was straight over there and that caused a little bit of a ruckus that luckily got dealt with very quickly but that combination of penalty minutes mean Josh is sitting for a couple of games. Um, it all depends on whether the game, how the game has been downgraded along with the penalty points but it also took the bees over 50 penalty points for the season so for the second season in succession, Doug Shepard now has to serve a two-match suspension, the first of which was last night against the Peaceborough Phantoms, but he will be missing from the bench for the game against the Raiders next Saturday as well. Um, a little bit of a blow for the Bees, that one. It is, because we are at a crucial time of the season, and we saw last night the impact Slava Kulikov had. Brave decision, with just four minutes to go, you're down and out of a game, pull the goaltender and he fights, you know, back towards being into that game. Doug Shepard is the man who can make those decisions for the bees. But if he's 30 meters away, then, you know, how much of an impact will that have when it comes down to those crucial decisions and things that the experienced Doug Shepard brings with him? And let's make no mistake, Doug is a very experienced coach. He's coached in the elite league, he's coached in the EPL and he now coaches in the NIHL. He's a very experienced coach. He had a distinguished playing career as well, so he can see things from both points of view. Just those little things that Doug may be able to communicate to the players in a game were missing last night. And again, in what's a crucial game Saturday, will be missing where Doug can just say to someone, look, you know, just do this, change that. Just a little word in the ear. And how much of a difference could that make on Saturday with Doug's absence from the bench? I mean, yes. He can prepare the guys before the game starts, but then Doug has to make his way away from the bench rather than towards it when the game's on. And that could make a big difference. Yeah, indeed. And uh, let's just go straight into that because you straight away said Slava Kulikov made a brave decision to bring the extra skaters out can on I just say, couple before occasions. We Sunday, yep. there is just one thing I wanted to say. You have mentioned uh, the the video footage from Saturday, which we have to say is from the crowd. It's unofficial Correct. video from the crowd. Now, as far as I understand it, in the rules for the NIHL National, it says that home teams must film their games for EIHA disciplinary purpose um, if needed. 
Now, obviously, we film our games and we put out Beast TV. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Andy. Where was the video from Saturday night? Because obviously, you know, there could have been a right to appeal. But what's the right to appeal now? If you don't have a video, you only have the reports from the referee. Now, we've seen before the video perhaps doesn't back up the report from the referee. I go back to the slew footing incident that was quashed middle of a weekend. And rightly so, the right decision was reached. But that was taken from video footage. Where is the video footage from Saturday night, given that it is in, as far as I'm aware, it is in the rules of competition for the NIHL National? Now, you've caught me out on the one bit I needed to check just before we came on air. Was the rules of the competition? I don't believe it is actually enforced this season that all games must be filmed for EIHA discipline because the Chiefs... It's not, why not? Well, no, I agree. Look, let's let's not beat around the bush here. You want to be a you want to be a semi pro league. You want to you want to uh, showcase yourself as a professional standard. You should be. Every game should be filmed. It's not hard to set up a couple of GoPros at either end of the ice and film the games for disciplinary reasons. There's and I'm not suggesting they need to be 4K HD quality. Like you just need to film the games for disciplinary reasons. And yeah, the Chiefs do not film the games, which is disappointing for multiple tr- of reasons. It'd be great for them to be able to share highlights. It'd be great for them to. They've got to build a hockey community in Leeds. There was a good crowd in Ellen Road Saturday night. I'll give them their credit, but they need to build it. And things like having highlights, and even if it's just GoPros that give you a wide shot, it's a like for those who used to go to Altrincham, for those who used to go to the old Big Blue Tent, they've improved the sight lines no end in that structure of the rink that they've got. It is a much better viewing experience in there. You don't need the televisions up in the stands so that you can see what's going on in the game. They've improved the sight lines no end. It wouldn't be hard to clip on a couple of GoPros, and and there you go you're filming the game for discipline and you might have the opportunity to use that for media so yeah it was extremely disappointing that the uh, the chiefs aren't filming their games for a multitude of reasons for disciplinary reasons and for their own promotional reasons i appreciate it needs volunteers i appreciate it needs all sorts but as you say if we're to be serious about the nihl national all games do need to be filmed i think so and obviously it does remove any potential right of appeal uh, especially as there is a bit of controversy over the the high stick. Yep. As you say, the stick's hit one eye, the cut's on the other eye. Couldn't have been then from a high stick, could it? But no. we'll never know that now because the only <gasps> footage available has come from the stands. And I suppose in 2020, everybody has a camera in their pocket, don't they, on their mobile phone, and people do film. Can't stop it, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with people filming. But the issue is, obviously, that there is no actual game footage that should be following the play at all times, I would say, or at least showing all of the play, as you say, on wide-angle GoPros um, like we have behind the goals. I mean, worst comes to the worst. If our main camera was to fail, we have GoPros that, because of their wide angle, would cover the whole of the ice. In the event of there being a discipline issue in Bracknell, we could just pull the footage off the GoPros and send that to the IHA. We even, obviously that, then... even that can be inconclusive sometimes. Yeah. We have to be fair. Like it, It's not the perfect solution, but it is some form of a solution for when a discipline, yeah. discipline problem arrives. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a main camera that follows the, uh, the game, follows it well, I think, as well. Um, you know, Richard does a great job. Uh, he's zooming in where he can on the plays and stuff. And I think anything that would happen in Bracknell unless it happened 10, 20 feet behind the play, is going to be captured on that main camera. And then if it happens 10, 20 feet behind, one of the GoPros at either end is going to have it. So I would yep. say that 
in the event of there being a discipline query in Bracknell, we would have some form of footage, probably from the main camera, which would actually be following the play. Or in the event of it being miles off the play, we have got the GoPros as well. I just think it's a little bit of a shame. And I know, I know I sound like I'm picking on leads here. They're a brand new team. They are new into their rink as well. And for them, obviously, they're still building a community of volunteers. Um, you know, like I've been responsible in Slough for like all those volunteers. And you're thinking, oh, hang on a minute, right? If so-and-so can't come in and goal judge, who can I ask? And that's a club with a long history. You know, you've got a brand new club there. And obviously, yeah, there is the, the cost of the equipment. GoPros or, you know, a moving camera or something doesn't come cheap. But I think even more so than that, it's getting someone who actually knows what they're doing to be filming it. Because if you've got someone on a main camera that's not a an experienced ice hockey person, I think you need a little bit of experience, don't you, to be able to anticipate what's going to happen as well. So you've got, you know, like your eye on the zoom and you're thinking, OK, if I zoom in too far, I'll miss who receives a pass or something. And by that, you're then behind the place. So you need a little bit of knowledge as well to be filming the game. but. You know, I if it's not being enforced this year in the rules of competition, my question would be why? It's 2020. It's not like the cost of filming is prohibitive anymore. That's that's my point on this. You know, if you were to go back a few years ago to get a decent quality camera that could follow ice hockey, you were talking an awful lot of money. Nowadays, with the, the, the way technology is advanced, you can get a camera that can follow ice hockey for quite a reasonable amount of money. And then all you need is somebody to operate it. I think, you know, as you say, if we are to be taken seriously as the second tier, as the, uh, you know, top semi-professional level of the IHA, little things like this do need to be enforced. If they, you know, why should be being asked by the EIHA, why are we not enforcing this? Be these games being filmed? Why are we, you know, why do we have this rule that we're not enforcing? I mean, I remember back to the introduction of the electronic game sheets where a directive was sent out to all the clubs that a failure to complete an electronic game sheet by the Tuesday following the game would result in a £50 fine. And I remember looking and looking and looking and I was thinking, right, okay, this week four out of ten teams did them. And I even emailed Ken Taggart. I said, what are you going to spend all these £50 fines on? given that, you know, obviously this is in the rules of competition, what are you going to spend it on? And Ken said, yeah, we're not really enforcing it. Well, it's in the rules, though. It's in the rules. Same with this videoing. It's in the rules of competition, but then you say it's not Maybe being in enforced. the rules. Maybe in the rules. I'm, it, well, by mean of not, it hasn't been enforced. Yeah. I didn't check the rules before we came on air, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure if it is or if it isn't. I don't think it is. Uh, I think it always gets discussed every year that, oh, we should film every game for discipline. But then I don't think it gets written into the ROC for a variety of reasons. And and that might be why we're in the situation. Anyway, I'm, trying to, I'm struggling to think of why there is a reason that a game in 2020 cannot be filmed. No, no, struggling no, to think of that, but there we go. That's fair enough. We're half hour into the podcast for those of you joining us for the first time ever for free. And this is about standard rate. We've only got through one game of the weekend so far, so we're well on the usual Should track. Should we move on? So let's move on into the Sunday game. And obviously Doug Shepard missing from the bench following that suspension. So it was down to AD Worship and Bill Webb to take over on the bench. And what a job the team. And they did as they ran away against the Peterborough Phantoms to move into a huge 7-3 lead. Every time the Phantoms came up with 
was something the bees had a response. Now, earlier on, you mentioned about Slava Kulikov making the bold play to go to a six on five with two and 48 to go in the period. Uh, and it worked for them on two occasions. Now, there's an ulterior motive there for Slava Kulikov. Slava Kulikov was not, I'm going to say it, he was not trying to win the game. What he was doing was he spotted an opportunity to work on his six on five. Now, obviously, mm. they have the Tigers coming up in the National Cup final. First leg is on Friday in Breton, and then the following Wednesday is up in Shropshire. If you can make it to either game, please do go to it. I think it will be a cracking uh, finale of that uh, that competition. And Slava just took an opportunity, I think, to... He spotted an opportunity. How many times do you get to work on six on five? He got presented with an opportunity. He took it. I don't think I've got zero complaints against it. I know some people, and I know there has been situations over the years involving Peterborough and Guildford where there's been a little bit of upset when occasionally a team has taken the opportunity to use that six on five. It can be seen as disrespectful. I think it was very smart. It was a good opportunity for the Phantoms in a game that had otherwise been a disappointment for them because of how well the Bees performed in the match. And it, you've got to give credit to them. I wrote a I was said on the commentary at the end of the first period, I always try and set up the first goal of periods. So it's ready to go on the Twitter. And before it, I wrote bees two, phantoms one. And I was proved absolutely right because the bees really set their stall out in that game. Good, strong defensive play, good transition and good finishing as well. All backed up with great net minding. Look, it really has been the the season has turned for the bees like they can turn around the four point weekend against the tigers there's been other great performances along the run against peterborough last time in peterborough we were one minute away from taking that game to overtime where the advantage was with us we'd fought back to tie that game up at four apiece and really were the better side in the third period and then okay it happens the it slipped away from us on that occasion we put that right on sunday with the performance that we did uh, and i think the highlight of it was uh, and the message that basically got sent is uh, don't give the puck to Dominic goodbye on a one-on-one breakaway because he's going to make you pay twice <laughs> twice he was given the puck wasn't he and twice he made them pay and so nearly a third time as well uh, but then again you know the the phantoms were on the power play Joe Baird returned to the game what was then behind the play and full credit to Joe Joe could have rushed into the play Joe stepped out, used all his experience and thought, hang on a minute, we, we've got the puck, we've got the puck. And Joe and Dominic went back and uh, went forward rather and they did the business and a great goal that was too. Looking at yesterday, was it perfect? No, it wasn't perfect. There was that period at the start of the second where we were outplayed by the Phantoms, but it wasn't a long period and crucially, we didn't give up a goal because it was 2-1 at that stage. Could have been 2-2, could have been an altogether different story. We came out at the start of the second, the Phantoms came out and they had the jump on us. And we weathered that storm and then we finished that second period incredibly strongly. It was a great performance overall, I think. And for probably 97, 98% of the game, I think we were definitely the team in the ascendancy. And I think we deserved the two points that we got yesterday. And as you say, isn't it nice to watch Dominic Goodbye given the opportunity to just go in and do what he does? 
Yeah, indeed. And obviously a couple of goals for Josh Ely Newman in that one as well. Yeah. Aidan Dowdy's finish as well and Josh Smith. Aidan Dowdy's one I need to actually watch again on Bees TV because I'm still, I, I think I know what it is. I think it's a shot over the glove side, but it's from such a tight angle off a great feed. But it was from such a tight angle. I'm still trying to work out how it quite snuck in because I think you'll hear on my voice on Bees TV. I sort of, I, I commentate the feed and then I hear the shot and you'll hear the little bit of a surprise in my voice because from where I'm looking, Looking on the ice, I'm going, oh, that's got to be a tight angle to finish in there. But Aiden threaded the needle on that one. And then Josh obviously coming up with a couple of good goals as well. Um, really was all in all a great night. And I think the highlight for you of the night, obviously, was the F off penalty. You get yeah, very excited when you see I really it come do. up. I waited. I waited years for one of those. And I'd like to thank Steph Hogarth for calling the first ever one. And I do remember picking up the microphone in Slough, all excited. And I was like, that's a penalty to whoever. It's an F off. And I just, that's all I said, gave the time of the penalty uh, for F off. And a couple of people came up to the end of the period. What exactly are you talking about? Oh, it's a face-off violation. I just yeah. got that excited about, uh, about it. But do you know what? I mean, there, there are a number of highlights for me. Dominic Gabay's breakaways. Aidan Doughty scoring from, you know, what I, I've not seen BCV. Um, I do. I it's do, literally uh, just dropped in my inbox now from Andy I, I, Turner. I was going to say, I have it. I, <laughs> I do have button. Beast TV, uh, but obviously here we are sat here recording this. Beast TV, if you are waiting patiently, will be up as soon as we finish recording this. But I've, I've not seen it yet. I literally started downloading it as we started recording this podcast. And you, as you rightly say, the Aidan Doughty one looked almost impossible, but he made it count. And, you know, I mean, there were highlights for me as well. There were some big saves from Adam Goss, who I would like to talk about in a little while as well. And it's altogether, the second time you wanted wanting to talk about netminders. I, I can't possibly I think why. Can't possibly I can't imagine why. why. Just, I don't know. It's just something <laughs> on my mind. Um, but no, I think the, the great highlight for me, I guess, and I did say this in the build-up to the game yesterday on the commentary stream, is... Now is the chance for these guys to almost put their hands up and say, look, sorry, Doug, it's our uh, discipline that's got you suspended. Sorry, we will pay you back for that with a win tonight. And I think they did. They did very, very well. Um, I remember last year when Roman Malenik was suspended incorrectly, shall we say, yes. uh, following review. I remember sitting with Roman, and I know certainly as a player, Roman was furious. Like, you know, I shouldn't be sitting here. I should be out there. And I'd imagine, you know, like Doug is the same. Like we, we stood with Doug last year, didn't we? When yeah. uh, Doug was suspended last year. And you could just see the frustration on his face. And I think that the guys came together, played as a team for AD and for, um, for Bill. And also for Doug as well, just to say, look, sorry, Doug, we got you in this mess. We'll get you out of it. And again, they'll have to do that on Saturday night. Because whilst Doug can prep them all week in training and can prep them before the game actually starts on Saturday night. Doug cannot be within 30 yards or metres, whatever it is, of that bench. So again, on Saturday night, they will have to step up and say, look, Doug, we'll do this one for you. Indeed. It's a great team that the guys have got on the bench there. Obviously, Bill and AD taking on the reins, but obviously other guys were stepping up as well to help with stats and analysis. So Drew, Matt, uh, Millsy, I call Millsy, Brian, let's call him by his first name, Brian and David on the bench there. <laughs> obviously, you, all, all stepped up there to do their job. And that's that's great. For, like That shows the yeah. community spirit that's there in that team. They're a tight unit off the ice and it's important that they continue and they do provide such a great support to the guys. I know their number one focus is making sure the guys are as prepared as possible to 
play the best that they possibly can. And I think that was a great example of it over the weekend and hopefully again this Saturday. Before we go in to talk about the goalie talk, let's do the league table. Now, for long time listeners, week, I'm, thinking, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking top of the pop style this week. <sighs> this is going to be under a lot of pressure, but anyway, you're under a bit of pressure now. Aren't you? There's a, a lot of thinking got to go into this, but let, All right. let me take All a moment. Right. Let me take a moment to compose myself. Bring out my inner. Which ones haven't been you charged compose yet? Yourself and I'm just I'll trying do to think which which ones I? which ones haven't been charged or arrested yet. Uh, Noel Edmonds. I'll bring in my inner Noel Edmonds. That's fine. <laughs> right. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, like we did mention, didn't we, last week when we mentioned uh, the late Bruce Forsyth and the late uh, Bob Monkhouse. There was we did a lot mention, of late. You know, <laughs> Dominic Gabay, obviously. Uh, uh, thank you, Dominic, for your support on the podcast. <laughs> Dominic Gabay is probably thinking, who on earth are these people? <laughs> so hopefully, everybody listening this week will know who uh, Noel Edmonds is. Um, uh, to, be fair, the table, think, though, to be fair, I think enough people were confused with the J- Jessica Fletcher references that were going oh, out yes. on Saturday night as well. Yes. But, uh, it, were, you, <laughs> were you tweeting from your phone or a typewriter? I, <laughs> I wish it was a typewriter with maybe a little uh, little glass of something a little bit stronger that might have helped keep me warm in there because it was yeah. uh, it was freezing in Leeds. Uh, I think there's another well, way to describe it. Well, the good news is, as you head into the table, um, and I don't want to ruin your moment, but the good news is you don't have to calculate how many places anybody's climbed or dropped. That's the good news. No, but it's just the point. So, so I've, got, I've got to do the other way. Anyway, on with So, you. with the league table, here's Graham. <laughs> Tenth place, then, is the lead Chiefs. Unfortunately, it looks like their season has come to a close. Following a no-point weekend, they have played 44 games with 26 points. We haven't thought this really. You're waiting for me, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> no move at nine. No move at nine, the B's though, but a four-point weekend. 46 played, 40 points. Also a non-mover at eight. They did it, didn't they? Got the four points themselves to stay where they are. The London Raiders, the Romford Raiders, just the Raiders, we'll call them. It's like um, once, twice, three times a lady. It's three times a Raider. 46 played, 42 points, just a two-point lead over the B's heading into their game on Saturday. And sticking at seven... They'll be looking over their shoulders a little bit, though, will be the Sheffield Steel Dogs. 46 played, 49 points. Just the overtime defeat for them against the Telford Tigers this weekend. But it's not impossible to believe that they could slip into this battle at the bottom if the Bees pick up those two victories against them this Sunday and next Sunday. Hitting and holding at six. Looking up the table, what are the form teams in the league at the moment? Uh, despite it was only one game for the Lightning this weekend, they took the victory they needed. So 46 played, 50 points. And into the top five now, no move at five. Two defeats for the Pirates against the Raiders causing their problems. 45 games, just a point clear of the Lightning. Again, they'll be looking over their shoulder. And ahead at four. That team from down the M3 are really causing a bit of a pain for coming into the end of this season. A four-point weekend for them. 46 played, 57 points. At one point, it looked like they might be looking over their shoulder. I think they're actually going to have a chance to look up in the table. And into the top three. No move at three. The Peterborough Phantoms, a no-point weekend for the Phantoms, which would have been a great disappointment to them. They went into the weekend thinking maybe they'd have a chance of going after the league title. Now, the Bison are right on their tail. 46 played, 58 points, just a point separating the Bison from the Phantoms. And the Phantoms have a three-game weekend coming up. 
Also a non-mover at two. A no-point weekend for the Wildcats. Disappointing for them, but 46 played, 61 points. Maybe it's a little bit too far for them now. And with just three weeks to go, a non-mover at the top. The Telford Tigers will be looking to make the first trophy as they bid for more trophies this season. Lots of trophies there. Sound a bit like Rafa Benitez. I want to be the first person in the UK to say this, though. Bold prediction time. Congratulations to the Telford Tigers on winning the inaugural NIHL national season. 47 played, 68 points, a seven-point advantage over the Wildcats. They are not going to blow it. Congratulations to the Tigers. You are the inaugural winner of the NIHL National, or is that a little bit premature? Well, I'm sat here looking at the form graph. The Milton Keynes Lightning are 4-1. and one. The Basingstoke Bison are 4-1. and one. The Raiders are 4-1 and one. in the top of the form graph. The Tigers then come in next at 3-2, and two, uh, as are also the Bees, 3-2 and two as well. We've been overtime so defeat are the, in there uh, as well. Just to be clear, yes. I don't like the form yeah. table. It just gives you a win or loss, but doesn't give you the context. Yeah. Anyway, so are the Phantoms, on. they're three and two as well. And then you get down into uh, Swindon. Now, we mentioned a few weeks ago, didn't we? Swindon Wildcats had a chance to overtake the Tigers and it's just gone a little bit wrong for the Wildcats. The momentum has just fallen out for them just a little bit at the uh, the wrong time of the uh, the season as well. I do think, looking at this table, though, you would uh, you would be a brave person to put your money anywhere other than the Tigers for this league title. They have a uh, seven-point cushion. Yes, they have played an extra game on top of uh, Swindon. I think after the zero-point weekend, you can count the Phantoms out. They may still aim for second, but uh, I think the the league title now, that dream has gone for this year for the Phantoms. And as you say, the Bison are kind of like, you know, there was a a big gap, wasn't there? Or a big, big bunch, rather, between three and seven, or three and six, certainly. Yeah. The Bison have kind of, with their four-point weekend, nailed themselves on now for at least a top four, you would imagine, and possibly a top three as well, because they're only a point behind those Phantoms as well, who have a three-point weekend. What sort of shape will they be in by Sunday with the intensity of a cup final on Friday and a game on Saturday as well, and a game on Sunday? That is a tough ask, I think, for any team. Um, For the Peterborough Phantoms, who are coming into this not in the best of form, win, 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 loss, loss. So, you know, they need to get back into winning ways. They're going to want to start that cup final strong. You're facing the Telford Tigers for the uh, the National Cup. They're going to want to start it strong. So I'd imagine by Sunday, they will have left a whole lot of effort out there on the ice Friday and Saturday as well. Is this a chance for the Bison to jump up into a top three? It's, it's I think, exciting because... Yes. Whilst the Tigers, I would say now, are favourites because the Wildcats are seven behind, five still behind if you take into account the game in hand. The Phantoms, I think, now are out of the title race, but you could still be changing two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine could all still change their positions, and there's just three weeks to go. I said it last week, this league has been an exciting first season And it's not over yet. And you've actually got to look at the fixtures this weekend and it gets even more intriguing. Friday night, obviously, Phantoms versus Tigers, National Cup. But there is a Friday night game in the league. The Bison taking on the Wildcats in Basingstoke. And then on Saturday, 
It's the Wildcats against the Bison in Swindon. So let's just write this one out here. The Wildcats drop both those games. The Bison pick up wins in both those games. The Bison are level on points with the Wildcats on 61 points. So all of a sudden, it becomes extremely interesting. And then at the bottom of the table is obviously the Bees Raiders. That's going to take our attention. We'll break that game down in a little bit as well. But two points there for the Bees. That will pull them level. The Phantoms, having the previous night welcome the Tigers, the next night they they welcome the Pirates. The Pirates, obviously, going to be looking over their shoulder because the Milton Keynes Lightning are playing the Leeds Chiefs at home. And then it's Telford Steel Dogs to round out the Saturday fixtures. Moving into Sunday, we've spoken about just now, you said it, what's going to happen on that Sunday? A third game in the road for the Phantoms. That's going to hurt them. They're playing the Raiders in the Raiders' Well, we hope the Phantoms are in good shape (laughs) on Sunday. Come on, Slava. Because yeah, the only thing you've got to Come on, Paddy. Because you've got to say there, as the only thing that might help the Phantoms is they're at home Friday, so there's no travel. They're at home Saturday, so there's no travel. If you were to pick a clash after that, you'd want a local one. They've only got to go down to the they've only got to go down to Romford. So as as much as it's a free game weekend, it's a low travel weekend. It'll be high intensity, don't take high intensity weekend, yeah. But it's low travel. The bus legs are not going to be a thing. Also on the Sunday, the Pirates take on the Lightning. Now, that's that intriguing clash. There's a point between them in the middle of that table. Hull having a nightmare of a weekend with back-to-back defeats against the uh, Raiders in there. So all of a sudden, they could slip down. And that has ramifications on the playoff groups that we'll go into in a minute. The Chiefs welcome the Tigers. And then, of course, it is the Bees against the Steel Dogs in the second of the doubleheader week end uh it really is fascinating Thank across that. otherwise i'd miss the whole weekend exactly it really oh well, to be fair you, Thank you, you fixed the secretary you did forget about it last night you you did this brilliant speech about how there's a game saturday I did, didn't I? Yeah. and then next weekend we're on the road twice and then you need to make sure you're here for the last game and it's like i did Mark. wonder why you were glaring me out i have to say <laughs> when i said it the first time and then i repeated it and you stepped in and corrected me so that's what i was just stood there you know like chatting away thinking why is he glaring at me? What have I done? What I am concerned about for the Phantoms, and I meant to mention this in the wrap of the Peterborough game, is Glenn Billing took a very heavy slap shot towards the end of the game from the, uh, Petr Stepaniak. If there's any player you want to take a slap shot from, it's not Petr Stepaniak. And that one went right into the wrist and you immediately saw Billing hold yeah. the wrist. Now, I've been racking my brains ever since. I don't think he came back out onto the ice after that. I think he, I don't remember seeing him. I either. think he took it. That's a big blow. Glenn Billing has been a great player that develops, really has a good, uh, has a good partnership with whoever he plays with. Does a lot of the does a lot of the hard work and feeds the nice puck, finds himself in the right places at the right time. And yeah, I hope for his sake and I hope for the Phantom's sake as well, not just for Sunday's game, but the whole season. You want to see the best two teams go head to head possible. The Phantoms are a better team when Glenn Billing is in it. So you re- I hope that for his sake, it was just a little bit of a knock on the wrist and he decided, you know what, I'm going to take it a little bit easy and nothing major in the damage wise was done. Glenn Billing is almost a coach's dream, isn't he? Because he often goes under the radar. But while he's going under the radar, he's doing a fantastic job. And, you know, like he's someone I think any coach would want in their team because just like his attitude, the way he plays the game and the fact that he's clearly not. Now, I have to say he's never played for a team that I've been involved in, but clearly he's not a prima donna or anything. He just comes out, gets on with the business, gets the job done, as you say, he always gets the job done to a good standard as well. And it's, you know, as I've said, 
there is so much that could still change in this table. It'd be nice to see the the best teams with their full strength lineups out there to finish the roster. So if there is an injury, get well soon, Glenn, but hopefully there isn't. Hopefully so. Right then. I bet there's a bruise. I, I imagine there's a bruise. Mr. Panyek's slap shot. I bet there is a bruise. It was a big one. And the minute, minute you saw it, it was like, oh, that one's going to smart a little bit. And he is. I winced for him, I have to say. <laughs> like, when I saw it hit him, I was like, oh, I even shook my own wrist. I winced for him. Yeah, he, he really didn't look good. But hopefully it's all fine. Right then. Uh, Sunday night, Mark Denham was back on commentary. Thank you very much for joining me again, Mark. Well, that was a pleasure. And once again, Mark decided to stir up a little bit of debate midway through the game that got the Twitter sphere talking to us because Mark looked down on the and uh, Ryan Bainbrook was in net for the Peterborough Phantoms and uh, Danny Milton obviously was on the bench for the Bees and you made the very good point of is this the best backup netminding duo in the league for teams in terms of you've got Bainbrook on one side you've got Milton is this the best backup netminding you've got and immediately I said like a I, I, little bit of devil's advocate for me I said look there's only been one backup netminder this year who's won one of the Odd Bulls NIHL National Player of the Month awards and that is Dan Weller Evans in Basingstoke so does that mean that Dan Weller Evans is the best backup netminder in the league and the instant response from Mark was no <laughs> And that was it, wasn't it? Absolute that was silence. it. It was, um, it was no, there was no, nothing else on it. It was, you literally could have said, absolutely not, and walked away from it at that moment. Yeah. And that caused a little bit of discussion, and quite rightly, fans are going to be protective of their players. Uh, and so as a result, um, uh, th- there's going to be some great irony about to come out from me here. But uh, Mark turned to the stats today to try and work out, okay, how do you quantify who is the best backup netminder? How do you quantify who is the best guy? Is it, is it the best guy for the team? Is it the fact that you can put him in net and he's not going to let you down? Is it the fact you can split the ice time a lot more and you really have what you're seeing more of in the NA, in the uh, NHL with 50-50 splits of netminding? And you looked at the stats and the best statistic backup netminder in the NHL National is... I feel a little stitched up here by you, Graham, so thanks for that. (laughs) Statistically, and I would say that statistics don't always tell the truth, (laughs) I'm looking at the EIHA statistics here, the best backup netminder, but but there is a caveat to this now as well. Statistically, the best backup netminder is Daniel James Weller-Evans, but what these statistics don't tell you is that the games played ice they tell you the games played but you get one of those just for sitting on the bench now dan weller evans is statistically the best backup netminder but in terms of that i want to throw in a caveat here which is something that we mentioned earlier how do <laughs> you define now <laughs> yes how do you define a backup netminder because you have got Jordan Lauday of the Milton Keynes Lightning, who is higher than Dan Weller-Evans in the statistical table. Dean Skins also plays for the Milton Keynes Lightning. Looking at the shot's face, Skins has faced more shots than Lauday. Therefore, do you call Skins the starter and Lauday the backup? In which case, the, the, the statistics, I can't say it now, yep. the statistics do not say that Weller-Evans is the best backup because... Is Lauday a backup? Like, how do you define that? Because they they have almost a 50-50 split in Milton Keynes as well. Right. Now, as you have rightly said, Dan Weller-Evans is the only non-starting netminder. And let's make no mistake, in Basingstoke, there is a one-two hierarchy. Not like in Milton Keynes, there is a one-two hierarchy. So credit to Dan Weller-Evans then for winning 
the player of the month earlier in the season. And when you look at his statistics, they're not a bad set of statistics. But then I am looking at Ryan Bainborough, who, of course, played last night. And I have to say, having made that comment early on in the game, um, which was a simple one-word answer to your question, Ryan Bainborough then goes on to ship seven, which doesn't (laughs) add much to what I'm saying. But I'm looking at Ryan Bainborough, who's not far behind at all, Dan Weller-Evans, but has, it would appear, faced more shots. And I think the Phantoms are quite good defensively, so that would tend to indicate that of the games Bainborough has been listed as playing statistically here, he may have taken to the ice more often than Dan Weller-Evans. And Dan Weller-Evans' season is pretty much based on one run that he had in the net, which was ended by the uh, the bees in a great three was it a three nil first period yeah it wasn't, when the bees it wasn't, went it wasn't, to even, it wasn't even a first period it wasn't it was even about, a period it was, it was 12, 12 minutes. minutes wasn't it 12 minutes where Dan Weller Evans run then came to an end and pretty much since then Alex Metham has dominated the ice time between the pipes in Basingstoke now statistically you could argue that if you don't count Lorde as a backup Weller Evans clearly in a one-two hierarchy Weller Evans being the two is statistically the best backup goaltender. Now, I have absolutely nothing against Dan Weller-Evans. He is a great team guy for the Bison. You and I both know that because we have both been at Basingstoke. Dan Weller-Evans is a great team guy for the Bison. But in my short but simple answer to your question, in my head, I'm thinking here, and I don't mean any respect, disrespect at all here to Dan Weller-Evans, but I'm thinking, If you are, let's say, in September or maybe October, and if Alex Metham gets a long-term injury, maybe six, eight, ten weeks out, do you roll with Dan Weller-Evans for those six, eight, ten weeks, and do you bring in a backup to Dan Weller-Evans, or do you think, oh, hang on, we're going to have to bring in someone to replace Alex, and Dan can back him up? That was my thinking in this. Now, I know this is a slightly different level, but if you go back a few years ago to the Bison winning the league, Dan Weller-Evans was the backup to Thomas Hedlowski, who did, unfortunately for Thomas, pick up one of those long-term injuries that saw him out. And Doug brought in John Baston, and John Baston then took the majorities of the starts until such time as Thomas Hedlowski returned. If you are Doug Shepard and Adam Goss gets a long-term injury, are you confident in throwing Danny Milton in the net? Now, Danny has, and I, you know, Danny has had a tough season this year. He's had a horrendous back injury. And any of the Bison fans who may be picking up on this thinking, oh, he's just bullying us or whatever. No, I'm not. If you go back to that game, Danny Milton could barely move, but he knew that Adam Goss was in a worse condition than him. And Adam Goss was his backup. So Danny did what he had to do for the team, despite being barely able to move. You mentioned it earlier. Gospel was in clear discomfort on Saturday night. Milton went up and down in installments that night. And that's kind of been the, the, the story of Danny's season this season, is that when he has got ice time in the net, it's been curtailed by an unfortunate injury. Yeah, and do you know and what? I don't think we've got to see the best of Danny Milton so far this year. Yep. If you look in Peterborough, would Ryan Bainborough be a starting option for Slava Kulikov in the event of his starting netminder, Jordan Marr, being unavailable for a period of time? 
And that, to me, is how I'm judging this. Dan Weller-Evans has put in some good performances. And let's be fair, he's not seen much ice time historically with the Basingstoke Bison. And this season, he put in a good run, which did rightly see him get the Player of the Month award. But from a coaching point of view, if you were the head coach of the Basingstoke Bison, would you go with Dan Weller-Evans in the event of knowing that Metton was out for a while? If you're the coach of the Peterborough Phantoms, would you go with Bainborough knowing Mar is out for a while? If you're the coach of the Bracknell Bees, do you go with Milton knowing that Goss is out for a while? And of course, I guess it's a difficult one in Milton Keynes because if you look at Skins and Lorde, they've pretty much split the starts. Yep. And I'm you've therefore one there. saying... You've actually missed one there as well. You've got to look at the Raiders at well, the end of the Raiders day. As well, yeah. Ethan James at the moment, you would say, is the number one there. You've got Michael Gray, who yeah. announced his retirement, and we do wish Michael all the best in his retirement at the end of the season. But Michael Gray is an equally capable yeah. number one there for the Raiders. And, uh, well, he yeah. is. I mean, Michael Gray has been a number one for a long time. And, you know, there's not much between them. Looking at the statistics here, there's not much between Gray and uh, James in terms of the statistics, but Michael Gray has been an excellent number one for the Raiders over a great number of years now, and good luck to him uh, post his career. But then which one of those do you call the backup? Or which one do you call the starter? Because either way, they are both very good backups if either one of them is the backup. And I think it is very, very difficult, isn't it, you know, to quantify who is the best backup netminder is very, very difficult to quantify. And I don't think going on statistics alone is the the right way to do it. Because if you look back traditionally, for example, backup netminders would have got the starts against the weak teams. Like I'm thinking back years ago to, let's say, Tigers pre-Skulls. That would be when you would, you know, chuck out your backup netminder. Or you've got yourself in a position where you're 6-1 up with 20 to play out comes the backup netminder. And it's a chance for them to pad stats as well because they're not facing the tough moments of the game. Now, fair enough, Dan Weller-Evans did go on that run in the net as well, and his stats include that. But for me, I think the backup netminder is about more than just stats. And I think last night, you know, you look at Bainborough, who did get the start, and he's not facing the same amount of ice time as Morris. So Bainborough is clearly the backup. Milton has had many starts in uh, Bracknell this season, while Goss has been injured. Milton has started, despite being not in great condition himself. And I think also, just taking it slightly further away from their actual play between the net as well here, it's about what they bring to the team. Because being a goaltender, who would seriously want to be a goaltender? Sit there and face shots like Stepanek and things like that, you know? or be undressed by Dominic Goodbye on a breakaway. Who'd want to do it? Even more so, I think it's tougher as the backup goaltender because you kind of come to the rink every weekend thinking, oh, it's not me. I'll just be the backup. And, you know, if anything happens, I'll get on. And you're, it's a very, very tough job, isn't it? You know, you're often there. You're counting shots. You're counting plus minus. You know, you're noting down players' positions when goals are scored against. It is a very, very tough job to do. So credit to all of the guys who go out there week in, week out in the traditional one-two hierarchy as the number two. Credit to all of them. But I will stand by what I say uh, last night in that whilst, you know, I've only spoken to Dan Weller-Evans a couple of times. He seems a nice enough guy. No disrespect, Dan, but I would stick by what I said last night in terms of the podcast and the best backup goaltender in the league. Yeah, and it's funny you... You're going to counteract now, No, you? no, no. I'm going to pick up on a few bits there, obviously. Um, obviously, 
you mentioned about Danny this season, the injury. Uh, the word is not luck. It's the opposite of luck that he's not had. Um, and obviously, like Bert, the game in Swindon earlier this season, Danny was the, the netminder that night and produced a, lot of, a plethora of good stays, saves to keep the Wildcats at bay, as, at, bay, bleh, at bay as the Bees took the points. And you, you mentioned about how he gets these horrid runs. You go back to last season. Danny actually won the starting netminder role. Yeah. Until... Uh, a sliding Ben Painter took him out into the back of the net and that was Danny then picks up an injury and then Danny unfortunately was back to the bench Dean came back in and rode through and, and that was the problem like and it's a problem for Danny because Danny is a couple of occasions won the right to be starter and then luck misfortune whatever has got in the way and you do feel for mm. him. Danny's a great team guy. There's no doubt about it. And he, look, the respect that players have for him across the league through his work with junior development, through the, through his work with other guys. And like I, I often hear from um, people within the junior system in Bratnell that one of the great things is that Danny is there to helping the kids. Danny is sitting there. And if a, if a younger netminder wants to turn to him and ask for advice, Danny will give them the time of day. And it's yeah. the same with other players as well. Danny's always the first one to be encouraging of players. He's always the first one to... And you, but you just see it. You can see it in guys across the league where they have there is a level of respect for him across the league. There's great respect for Danny. Uh, there's great respect for him as a player, and there's great respect for him as a person as well. And and yeah, as you say, it's so hard to quantify who is the best backup netminder because the best backup netminder <clears throat> might just be someone who's quite happy to ride the pine because there are some netminders mm. who yeah. want to play 52 games of the season. They don't want to break. And that's a hard position to be in because if you're a young netminder who, who wants to get some ice time and, and you're being told, well, your role really is to be the backup. And even when we're 5-0 up over against a weak team, I'm probably not going to put you in net because this guy just wants to ride through the full 60 minutes every game. And we've, I've seen it over the years with netminders. And there are some netminders who just want to go like that. There's others who want the 50-50 split. There's others who are coaches who feels it's better to have that competition between netminders. You've seen every combination of this throughout the year, um, throughout the seasons even, that you've watched ice hockey. And, and yeah, it really is hard to quantify. It can just be the right thing. Dan Weller-Evans might be the best backup netminder for the Basingstoke Bison because he is the best support that Alex Metham can get. In the same way that at the other end of the scale, Steve Hudson might be the best backup net netminder for Sam Gospel in Leeds because he just supports him in the same way Danny Milton might be the best backup at the moment for Adam Goss because they support each other and can work together. It all depends yeah. on the club situation. And yeah, look, my background, my professional career, I work for the company that owns Opta. Uh, so obviously we have a wealth of statistical data. We, we obviously own stats in America as well. And I get to see quite a plethora of stats to do with the NHL and all sorts. And that makes fascinating reading sometimes as you're breaking down player reports. And you look at all this and you say, right, quite rightly, you go by the stats. It says this. But sometimes you have to go beyond the stats. Sometimes it's, it's maybe it's just got to pass the eye test. What are the situations they're seeing on this one? This is where in football, oh God, I didn't think I was going to talk about expected goals in a podcast, but here we go. The idea of expected goals in football comes into it and which which goalkeeper is the best goalkeeper is one that's able to keep the, okay, the expected goals was this, but they kept the goals down to this. And it does mean it's a very fascinating read. And look, Five, ten years' time, right now in ice hockey in this country, the level of data analysis is very top line. It is who scored goals, who scored assists, how many points they got. You've probably got a bit of plus minus, a little bit of hits, face-off wins. Uh, you might have a few little other bits as well, like turnovers. You, you like Different clubs will collect different things. 
in the next five to ten years, you're going to see it all. It all trends, and you'll start seeing, for instance, shot positions, and you'll start mm. seeing. Uh, expected goals and you'll start seeing this idea of contested shots and uncontested shots and that's where it will really start breaking down in the game and it's going to come don't doubt me the football revolution is happening right now with advanced analysis and you you only have to hear about things like xg xa and all this and there's a lot of people turning off the podcast right now because i'm talking about stuff that is uh it's fascinating it will come to ice hockey at this level. It's going to take five to 10 years to really get to the point where the algorithms will work and also to the point where you have the uh, data collection alongside it. But it is going to get there and you're going to see refinements in the game to beyond things. And you'll start seeing that, okay, we know that Netmind Array has a weak spot when you shoot from this position on the ice. He is three times more likely to let in a shot that goes into this position in the net from this angle. And you'll see teams begin to exploit that opportunity that they probably don't right now in this league and they probably don't even in the elite league right now and that's where it will come through and that's where even then we've got that top line data that's where I'm talking about that top line data is just statistics you can make judgments on players on those statistics they're going to be right they're going to be wrong your hit your hit rate is is variable um, yeah. and that's where it's going to get fascinating as this as the game develops and and as you see players look players will begin to want to know the data a little more because it's going to help them improve and mm. like <laughs> I can, I'll tell you a story of a former coach that I used to work with where he would he lived and died by plus minus absolutely lived and died by plus minus I think I know who that right is right up until he was at the bottom of the plus minus list at which point yeah I've never cared about plus minus in my career <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, mm, sure about that one? Because like you used to live and die by this. But th- yeah. th- what does plus minus I mean, mean? Like that, that's and if, the advancement on that statistic alone is changing the mm. game in the NHL. It will eventually happen over here. It's going to take five to ten years, but it will eventually change the game in this country as well. If you look at my other sport would be cricket. If you look at cricket, they have a huge statistical archive that goes back years, 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 right back to the start of cricket. But nowadays, it's about so much more than that. I mean, you would, if you were picking for England years ago, you would look at the averages. Whereas nowadays, you look at the, the, the whole data and you look at, right, we're going to Sri Lanka where it traditionally spins. So how is he against spin? And you would have the analysis against spin. In terms of a bowler, you would have the analysis of how does he do on a flat pitch? How does he do on a seeming pitch? And it's about so much more than the data. I mean, if you take cricket, you have a batsman's average run scored per times out and you have a bowler's average runs conceded per wicket. But it's about so much more than that. And ice hockey is the same. And as you say, statistics in ice hockey are still relatively basic compared to other sports. I mean, you compare our statistics with the statistics available in the NHL, which is the same sport, but in a whole different world. The statistics and analysis available in the NHL is massive compared to what we have available here. And I think judging anybody, be it a player, be it a goaltender, on statistics alone, I think is a brave call. I mean, I know when it comes to, let's say, signing a player that you don't particularly know much about, all you've got to go on is initially the stats and then you'll start making some inquiries like what do you know about player x what sort of a guy is he you know like how does he respond on special teams and stuff like that 
you'll start making inquiries, but predominantly you're looking at the statistics. So statistics can be interpreted, I suppose, in different ways as well. And going back to the original question, you know, like I think if you are going to judge the backup goaltenders on the statistics alone, then yeah, well done, Dan Weller-Evans. But I think it's about slightly more than just statistics. Right then, I think that neatly... Can I talk about starting netminders now? Oh, go, go. We've talked about mentioned the backup, this a so let's go into the starters then. I just want to say um, Adam Goss has, and I did say this on the stream last night, like I thought about saying it a couple of times, and I thought, no, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, because the first time I was going to say it, you mentioned something and then said commentator's kiss of death, and I thought, oh, no, don't say it then. Absolutely don't say it. But then, like, in the next period, I thought, no, I'm going to say it. And I want to put it on record on the uh, the podcast as well. Adam Goss has had an up-and-down season, but since he's come back from injury, he is the package that we need in the net, in the Bracknell Bees net. He has been, I think, a, a top-notch goaltender. I think you can see he's growing in confidence. How many times did we see him last night? Now, I've always rated Danny Milton as a puck-handling goaltender, but how many times did we see Goss come out last night that we wouldn't have seen earlier in the season and handle the puck and start off a transition? How, you know, how much confidence has he grown in as well since he's come back from injury? You know? And I want to say, like, if there was any, uh, we've seen it on social media, haven't we? People doubting Adam Goss. He's coming good now when it really, really matters. When we need him to be solid in the net, he is coming good. And both his statistical performances, and I'm going back to stats now, both his statistical performances this last weekend as well have been outstanding. And yes, he doesn't have the best stats in the league this year, but he's played through injury and stuff like that. Since he's come back from injury, his stats are climbing, his confidence is growing. And his worth to the team as not just a shot stopper, but also as a player who can handle that puck and start off the transition are all growing and his numbers are going the right way and so is his performances at this crucial time of the season. Yeah, and I think you can see that. That's just growing across the decor as well. Like all the guys just seem to have a little bit more confidence in uh, in, in, in Adam in there. And it's growing. It's, it's a two-way street. And it's the same as any partnership. You look at our partnership. If you have confidence in what the other guy is saying and how he's going to express it, you're not feeling the need to jump in. You're not feeling the need to maybe overwork and overstate things. You you, you grow into a partnership. And when you, when you put a new guy in any team, it's happened over the years with any team there is a feeling out process guys are used to having a certain way of netminder playing a certain way of doing this I know that when he does this he's going to do this and then you play a little bit on mental you do play on picture memory and you, and muscle memory and then you look and you go, well, why that? why is that not the case? It has been a growing experience for the whole of that decor this season and I think you are beginning to see what I think we'd hoped would be there from would be there during the season. It's just taken a little longer to get there. And that's full credit to the guys. They've worked hard. They've continued to work hard week in, week out. And that's across the whole line, bringing through like Luke Jackson, Brendan Baird, still a young guy, all that decor, are all young guys with, with Ed Nags, with Harvey Stair, with Stuart Mogg. They're all, they're not all 28, 29, 30 year olds, 31, 32. They're all young guys. They're still learning their game. They're still developing 
upping their game as well. And and at the other end, you've got the sniper Joe Baird, who's just letting fly over the glove side these days. So uh, what a goal! <laughs> a vintage Joe Baird that was. But that's exactly what it is. It's got a good blend back there. They're all working hard together. And, I, and as you say, quite rightly, Adam is he, he's come back from his latest injury woe. And he looks strong, and I think the D you can just see it all growing in confidence around them. And I'm touching the wood in my uh, in my uh, studio at the moment. I am touching the wood in mine too, <laughs> uh, because you you never know how this could go. As we comfortably break through the new record, we haven't even got to this weekend's games yet. Just one more thing I want to pick up on. Um, great to see the guys, some of the guys out at Royal Marsden uh, Hospital. Uh, uh, today I can say that because we're recording on a Saturday night. Yeah, we um, are. on a Monday. Obviously, obviously, a lot of great work's gone on with the Royal Marsden Hospital. Um, lots of great funds that have been raised by the Bees fan base. One thousand five hundred pound donation was made to the Royal Marsden. More importantly, a lot of smiles were put on faces today as Buzz and uh, the guys down there, Zach and Danny Milson, Ryan Webb, and Casey Wilson, along with uh, a couple of the other backroom staff, all going out there as well and really doing well. It's a big credit to each and every one of you in the fan base for helping to raise such a great fun for the uh, Royal Marsden I'm sure it's been a great partnership to work alongside though they've been very grateful of our support and we've it's been an absolute joy you forget that we were in the purple jerseys earlier this season so it really has been quite nice to a lot of support and really uh, look we've sat here and waffled on for a minute and 16 about stuff the important thing is, at the end of the day, that's what sport. That's what sport really is about. It's about being in the community. It's about giving back. It's about providing opportunities. It's about doing what we can to help raise funds and doing what we can to help raise profile for other people who do even more amazing job. Look at the end of the day. The end of the day, our guys go out and whack pucks for a couple of hours a weekend. Like there's more important things in the world. And if we can, by having our team that does what they do, having the support that we have in the, in, in the backroom staff as well, to be able to turn our energies and focus, to get our great fan base to help donate as much money as they can to things far more important than we are. That's what this is really about. That's what this sport is all about. And that is what the Bracknell Bees really is all about. Well, I want to extend that thanks just a little bit further, of course, because we have collected our home games. And I know... Obviously, it's the Bees fans who've done the own and loan on the purple jerseys and massive thank you to all of you for doing those. But also, I want to extend that thanks as well, because especially now that we're public as well and free and open on the podcast to all the other teams supporters that have come down and made those donations as well to the Royal Marston uh, Hospital. It's been a fantastic pleasure to be able to be involved with something like this. And as you say, you, me and the team we are all, you know, very, very fortunate to be able to do what we do. And I sometimes sit and I think, you know what, like I'm really lucky to be able to do what I do. But then I think I wish I could make a greater contribution, like say doctors and nurses and the stuff that they do is absolutely amazing. And it often goes by without thanks as well. So to be able to go there today and I think it's about even more than just the money. I know the money means an awful lot to the Royal Marsden. But to be able to go there today and to take those children and just put a smile on their face for one day with all the stuff, with the, the pucks and the goal, with Buzz there and everything and some of the team there as well. I think, you know, £1,500, a great donation to the Royal Marston. And thank you to everybody that has donated throughout the season to our collection to the Royal Marston. But I think even that £1,500 that we have donated today pales into insignificance in comparison to the joy that we have brought. Now, I've, I've seen some of the photos today, like the smile on the faces of those kids. And those kids are ill. 
Let's not forget that. Those kids are ill. To be able to go there and just take their mind off illness for just a few hours, put a smile on their face and give them an opportunity. And I wish all of those children all the very best at the Royal Marsden. I hope that they go on to make recovery. And perhaps, who knows, maybe one day they will be lining up for the TSI World Bracknell Bees after today. Maybe we have inspired them. But as you say, getting out and about in the community Firstly, giving them that £1,500 donation, which will be a massive, massive boost to them and making those children's day with that smile on their face. I think that's what it's all about, especially from our position of fortune as well, in that we are all in in good health. And, you know, we get to the players get to enjoy themselves on a weekend playing a sport that they love. We get to enjoy ourselves on a weekend talking about a sport that we love. And then we get to go out there. The team get to go out there today along with Buzz and do something that fantastic. You know, it, it warms the heart. Yeah, completely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, as I say, absolute joy for that. Uh, I'm trying to think of a neat segue into this weekend, but failing massively. So I'm just going to sort of ramble on a little bit and then try and get into the double header weekend that we've got coming up this weekend. Uh, you mean the one that I forgot about? Yeah, yeah that one. Uh, so because obviously Saturday night sees uh, not Mark Denham come to town, but the Raiders come to town on Saturday night. I knew it would come. Yeah, I had to wait for it. Mark having another weekend off. Uh, but the Raiders? Half a weekend. Half a weekend, sorry. Raiders coming to town on Saturday night with a 6.15 face-off. Doors open at 5.30 and then Sunday night the Sheffield Steel Dogs make the trip down for some more hashtag NIHL travels on that one. Uh, as the Steel Dogs will arrive, that'll be a 5.30 face-off with the doors opening at 4.45. Tickets all available from the usual places that Mark will go through in a minute. Uh, now we keep saying, and the, I do get a little frustrated sometimes when you just see, it's the biggest game of the season. It's the biggest game of the season so far. The return of the biggest game of the season so far. But genuinely, on Saturday, it could be the biggest game of the season so far. Oh, it genuinely could, couldn't it? And I'm I'm playing it down in my head. Look, the Raiders, obviously, last time out, picked up both victories over the Bees. The Bees getting that overtime comeback um, to, to force the game to overtime. And actually, do you know what? The momentum just swung in the favour of the Bees on that one because easily you could have seen that's the difference right now because that was a team that was down in the game, hadn't played badly at all, just a couple of bounces going the other way, good net mining from Ethan James, causing some problems. Like The Bees worked their backside off on the Sunday in Romford, really put in a really strong performance and got their rewards in the end with those two goals in the space of just tens of seconds to try and to bring the game back to free apiece when pretty much like I was stood down ringside and the Raiders were beginning to roll out the red carpet for the post-match presentations and the Raiders were beginning uh, John Scott had made his round way round to begin for the uh, post-match man of the match photography and all that and then two goals in that short space of time and obviously yeah it would have been lovely to go on and pick up the points in overtime it just didn't happen in that respect and that's what happens in free and free hockey it's completely open but the fact that bees just dug deep got the goal back got another goal back forced the game to overtime i think really nicely sets it up for this saturday because it's the last time against the Raiders at home. The Raiders are going to have the season series throughout the rest of the year. So the Bees really are going to have to dig deep in this one because they know that basically you have to try and get the advantage back as best you can. And the only way you're going to do that is picking up the victory this Saturday and then the following Saturday in Romford as well. Uh, and really, that's the sort of game you win on the Saturday. The momentum from that is going to carry you through not just the Sunday game at home as well, but potentially through the rest of the season. Well, I mean... 
you and I are a little bit guilty of this, aren't we? The hype around this game on Saturday, the hype around the game the weekend, two weekends ago as well. And yes, let's be honest, it is a huge game Saturday and it will draw the team's level on points, although the Raiders will stay ahead in the table should the Bees win on Saturday night. But I think whilst you and I and the entire Bees fan base, and to be fair, so too the entire Raiders fan base, will know the enormity of this game on Saturday, I think it's important for the players to just step back a little bit and approach it as a game on Saturday. Because I think if you get into it and you're thinking, oh, this is the biggest game of my career so far, or this is the biggest game of this season so far, perhaps you're getting a little bit overhyped for the game. I think it's important for the players that they approach it as a Saturday night game, a 6-15 face-off against the Raiders, and they prepare for it and they go out there. And if they play the hockey we know they can play, which they did against the Wildcats, which they did against the Tigers, which they did this weekend against the Chiefs and the Phantoms, then that's all we can ask of them to do. And in respect of that, it doesn't make any difference, the enormity of this weekend at all. You just want them to go out there, approach this as a Saturday night game against the Raiders. Let's go out there and let's play our way. Let's play at the top of our game and let's go for the two points. I can't wait for it. I'm just excited for the whole weekend. I really am a doubleheader weekend at home. The Steel Dogs on Sunday. I'm excited to hear your dulcet tones. I think we're all going to enjoy this one. So, Mark, if fans are wanting to get tickets for the game on Saturday... Should we not talk about Sunday as well? uh, well, Before we tell them how to get tickets. (laughs) Now, you've forgotten about it as well. well, I haven't. We're even. I just just moved. We're we're one hour 24 into our latest edition of War and Peace. And uh, I just... just, uh, This is the moment of which I broke. Uh, but we can't look past the Steel Dogs. At the end of the day, the Steel Dogs have picked up victories over the Bees in both games so far this season, including an overtime defeat up in Sheffield. Uh, a lot of talent in that team with the likes of uh, Alex Graham. Not sure if Kieran Brown's back from his injury yet. Dimitri Zamozdra continues to be a puzzle that needs to be unpicked with Ben Morgan still one of the best D-men in the league as well for the Steel Dogs. And they've got plenty of other talent as well. They're not going to be an easy game on that Sunday. They're going to be coming off a game against the Tigers as well. Who knows how that one could pan out for them they're going to be desperate not to fall into this and it takes a bit of a battle there's a seven point drop to down to the Raiders there's a nine point drop down to the Bees but if the Bees pick up two victories in a, against the, uh, the Steel Dogs that gap just narrows and it's not impossible to believe or dream that they could just end up a little bit nervously looking over their shoulder if it all goes right for the Bees and the Raiders certainly and the other thing for the Steel Dogs as well is that they come into this. I know this form guide is just black or white. There's no grey for overtime losses or anything, but the Steel Dogs come in with the second to worst record in the league of one and four, and they are on a a losing streak, a consecutive four games without a win for the Steel Dogs as well. So they will obviously play on uh, Saturday night. And on Saturday night, they are, as you say, the Tigers. That'll be a tough test for them, as will Saturday night against the Raiders for us. Sunday night, therefore, I think a great battle as well. And I know people will say, well, I've got work the next morning or I've got school the next morning. And I went yesterday. But seriously, get online and book your tickets or get on the telephone and book your tickets. Or if you've got a season ticket, get full value out of it. Saturday, 615 Sunday, 5.30, and you'll have done one more game than me this weekend if you manage both. But seriously, 
get down to the hive this weekend and let's get the hive rocking as the uh, the bees go on that run to try and secure that vital eighth place this season. Indeed. Right then, Mark, how can fans stay up to date with all the latest from the bees ahead of the weekend's games? Our website, of course, as always, bracknellbees.com. News and tables and stats and previews and all sorts on there. If you are a social media user, you can hook up with us on Facebook. We are Bees Ice Hockey. You can follow us on Twitter. We are Bees Ice Hockey. And, of course, if Instagram is your thing, we are The Bracknell Bees. If you would like to get tickets, you can call the telephone number 01344 That's 01344 Or if you'd like to book your tickets online, skate.jnlbracknell.co.uk. Lots of information for everybody there. Uh, Jessica Fletcher is currently re-putting the ribbon into the typewriter because uh, there's plenty <laughs> of episodes of Murder, She Wrote that could have been. She would have solved so many crimes during the time it's taken to do our longest podcast of the season. But I think it's fair to say for the first one that we've put... Uh, Away from the pay what roll, payroll, paywall, paywall, payroll is what how you pay people, paywall is how you, yeah, get it right, Graham, yeah. paywall. Uh, it's only fair that we, uh, we, we've we gone a little long, but there's plenty of discussion, plenty of topics, and as ever, if you've got any points you'd like to raise with us, please do raise with them with us on Twitter. More than happy to get into a debate on the things. Maybe you might make a starring appearance on the podcast the following week, or maybe we might, Who knows? maybe we might just ignore you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't be honest in the world haven't we always love it when you yeah. see like television shows go oh write in you, and it's like they're not going to read it <laughs> yeah. now, as a kid you used to think oh write into live and kicking you never know they might they might read it it's like nah. when you mm. break in the industry you began to realise that's one of the first roles you do and you just sit there and you go that's a load of rubbish that's a load of yeah. rubbish sorry to spoil the illusion kids um, but your dreams and hopes we will not ignore you I guarantee if you want to tweet us at Bees Ice Hockey for something for consideration for a uh, a future podcast because they will as we say be remaining open for the remainder of the season so tweet it at bees ice hockey and we will be more than happy to hear from you that's from the words of mark denham maybe not from the words of graham bell there uh anyway well, i will be more than happy to hear from you well, anyway. exactly mark obviously well so long as they don't try and contact you on saturday because you won't be at the hive but i'll see you on sunday no i won't no see you on sunday graham. and for all of you thank you very much for your continued support and until next time take care of yourself and let the infamous fame tune play us out tonight. Bracknellbees.com